Movie Date is supported by the Alliance Theater, opening its new season with an all-star Atlanta cast in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, September 2nd through the 20th. Tickets at alliancetheater.org slash cuckoo. For $10 off, enter code WNYC at checkout. Rafer, there's something very special opening today in New York. And no, I am not talking about a movie. If it's not a movie, what is it? It's something related to one of the movies coming out this week, tangentially related. It's not well, actually... Okay, we've got... Well, so we're going to talk about Black Mass with Johnny Depp. Yes. So it's, is it that? It's not a gangster bar. It's not a gangster bar. It's not the, it's not the mob museum. <laughs> uh, it's opening. All right, Everest, the new uh, film about the 1996 climbing disaster, it stellar not, cast. It is not a mountain climbing disaster. Nothing to do with Everest nope, or the mountains. Nope. Uh and then Maze Runner, The Scorch Trials. But that's, yes! That's a science fiction film. What, no, what, what no. possibly could be opening in New York that has to do with the dystopian sci-fi <sighs> teen film, Rafer, The Maze I'm Runner? I'm mad at you now because you're a dad and you should know this. Uh-oh. What it's, is it? It's The Amazing Maze Maze. Ah. At the Queen's the, Farm Museum. The You've cor- been there. The corn, the giant corn. Yes. The corn. Oh, maze. Ah, the amazing maze maze. Got it. It's the maze made out of maze. Bring your kids to it. It opens today at the Queens uh, yeah. the Queens County Farm Museum. Yeah, this museum's like the oldest continually running farm in New York City. Yes. It is and and I'm sorry, this is not an advertisement for the museum, by the way. No <laughs> nobody told us. us to mention this, but And I've um, only been there once. So did you do the maze maze? No, 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 no. I can't remember why we were there. I think it was just an, a very average trip to see the little animals and stuff and oh, pet them and do the whole thing. It's it was totally cool. Yeah. The maze maze, just be careful. Go there emotionally prepared to feel as though you're going to die. Oh wow, really? If you fall to the knees and scream at the sky, they will not hear you. <laughs> However, they have all these rescue areas that you can go to within the maze. Oh because people like me lose their crap all the time in there. <laughs> oh, I love it. Okay, I'm definitely going. I'm definitely going. All right, I'm glad you brought that up. And it might be more fun than the movie. Oh, well, we'll see about that. We'll see about that, Kristen. We're going to talk about all those movies and more in a minute. But first, let's introduce ourselves. I'm Rafer Guzman, movie critic for Newsday. And I'm Kristen Mines, our culture producer for The Takeaway. And this is Movie Date. Kristen, let's start off with Black Mass, the Johnny Depp gangster film. Has nothing to do with church. No, it does not. No, it does not. Uh, but he is Irish, a good Irish Catholic. Yes. Um, and this is the story of Whitey Bulger, James Whitey Bulger, the notorious uh, Boston mobster who for years, uh, during the 70s, 80s, uh, ran Boston, uh, ran drugs, uh, ran weapons, uh, ran gambling, but the thing about the about about Whitey Bulger is that everyone loved him. Everyone loved they Whitey loved Bulger. They loved him unless they had to pay all their money to him. And they still <laughs> love him in Boston. Um, and uh, people were wondering, though, uh, and it's a good question, why was he allowed to just kill almost anyone he ever pleased? Uh, he killed about 19 people that we know of. Why was he allowed to just kill people at at, at will for, like, decades Without a peep, without almost a, a scintilla of involvement from the law enforcement community at all. And the answer is, of course, because he was an FBI informant for his old childhood friend, John Connolly, played by Joel Edgerton. And this movie explains uh, how Whitey Bulger rose to power. Here's a clip. I can help you, Jimmy, and you can help me. I'm not trying to clean up Southie. I love this place. I'm interested in the North End. I'm interested in the mafia, and I bet you are too. 
That's two minutes. Well, Kristen, uh, this is the first time we've seen Johnny Depp playing kind of a real-world character in quite a while, wouldn't yeah, you say? it's been a while. Yeah, um, I mean, it's been a while since, you know, Lone Ranger and, uh, and the Pirates of the Caribbean movies and Alice in Wonderland and such. So here he's playing a real-life figure, Whitey Bulger. Uh, by the way, uh, every, who everyone called Jimmy. Apparently no one called him Whitey. Oh, I, yeah. I never understood where... Apparently if you called him Whitey, you'd get he killed. He hated that. So is that he why we all like call him... did not like being called Whitey. No, but everyone calls him Whitey. Yeah. We all call him Whitey. I guess all the people that don't know him call him Whitey. Anyway, what did you think of Johnny Depp in this movie? Well, you know, you're saying he's playing a real person for the first time in a very long time, which is true, but he doesn't look like a real person. Well, that's the big selling point of this movie. If you see the posters for it, it's, he's unrecognizable. He looks gaunt. He looks aged. He look, he's bald. No, but he looks like Gollum. He look, he what do you like mean? He's Gollum in a live action movie because like, of the blue, those kind of milky blue those contacts weird he's blue got. Contacts, yeah, his skin's not a normal color. It's like yeah. this weird kind of ashy. He's sort. got the aged, aging freckles yeah, on him, and then and he's such. got the weird like snaggle tooth thing going on. Yep. And yep. The, is that a prosthetic forehead? Whatever it is, he looks like he is actually a cartoon character dropped into a regular gangster movie. So, you, so that I so, found it very distracting. I'm going to agree with you somewhat. I also found it a little distracting. Um, it, 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 there, there were moments, and I know, I know what you're saying about those blue contacts, because Ugh, especially worse. when he's in three quarters profile, oh, you, can you just, really uh. see that uh, you could really see the thickness and the, you know, you, of those contact lenses. I know what you're saying that that did, to be honest, distract me here and there because Whitey Bulger began to seem like another Johnny Depp costume, mm. and um, and he exactly, and he, and he almost literally never changes clothes in the film. He's almost <laughs> always wearing that shirt, the gold chain, and that cheap, ugly jacket. It's like this costume that he's got on. That's the that's the Whitey Bulger outfit, you know, like you'd find the Iron Man outfit in the Halloween store. <laughs> right next to it is the Whitey Bulger costume, um, and I know what you're saying. There is a little something distracting about it. I still felt that it was a pretty good performance, and he's a pretty scary figure in the movie. He's definitely like like you kind of feel him coming, and you and and you don't know when he's going to snap. And whenever he's in a room, at least I definitely got that sense of like, get me out of here. Let yeah, me. But see, isn't how just, can I get away from this guy? But sometimes isn't that scary thing you're talking about just a copy of other people's depiction of scary in other movies? Like before we were talking earlier about how there's like a scene that seems exactly as if it's the Joe Pesci scene from for, Goodfellas. From Goodfellas. It is yeah. it is almost virtually identical to the Do I Amuse You uh scene in Goodfellas. Yeah. Um and you've and and anyone who's seen the trailer for Black Mass will know what I'm talking about because it's in the trailer. Um and yes, he does use the director um Scott Cooper does use uh, a Rolling Stones song and a classic rock soundtrack just like Goodfellas did over a montage. So there are these things about the movie that I I, I did often think while I liked this movie and I found it very compelling, um, I, I, it doesn't distinguish itself from the other 300 gangster mafia mobster movies that you've seen. It's kind of straightforward. It doesn't do much stylistically to make itself stand out. But I thought it was a pretty compelling story. Um, I thought it boiled down that complex Whitey Bulger story. Uh, you know, he was as, as as if his FBI informant link wasn't wasn't weird enough. Uh, his brother was a state senator, uh, William William Bulger, uh, played Cumberbatch. by Benedict Cumberbatch, mm. who's great, and Joel Edgerton is great as John Connolly. Um, and it's a really good cast. Uh, Kevin Bacon, um, uh, David Harbour. Uh, there's a whole like a whole raft of great people in this movie. 
Uh, I men, liked it. All men. Well, yeah. I mean, there's the, the women in this movie. That's it's true. They they are virtually they're not treated like they are in Goodfellas. Or no, like the other gangster movies where they actually get to be humans. No, that's definitely they're, true. They're pretty much just this is, like this scenery is, in this movie. This is not the women's story. Uh, <laughs> I mean, that you know, there there is. In the movie's defense, I mean, I think that's the world. I think that's the world that these guys were living in. There, there was no room for the women. Um, but I know what you're saying. I think the movie has a lot of flaws. I still really enjoyed it. I thought it was a good, solid, really interesting, true-life gangster film. And I thought Depp was good. I thought it was a really good date. I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was a perfectly serviceable date. I, I never wanted to get up and leave the theater. I wanted to stay until the end and see things. <laughs> that's a low bar. <laughs> I'm going to say. I wanted to see how things would end, but I was constantly distracted by Depp. Just you constantly. Were. It, just, it was just too much for you. It was just too much. Yeah. I, I kept on thinking, I, I wish you would have cast somebody who just looked like Whitey Bulger rather than this makeup CGI looking disaster who's here. I know what you're saying. Okay, Kristen, tell us about Maze Runner. The Scorch Trials. All right. So you get there and there's corn everywhere, but the corn is shaped like a maze. <laughs> oh, no. I'm sorry. We're talking about and the Queen's Farm Museum again. There's sheep nearby that you can pet. <laughs> no, Kristen. Tell us about the movie, the, the movie. science fiction dystopian film. All right. So this picks up where the original Maze Runner left off. If you remember the original Maze Runner, we have all of these boys and kind of a Lord of the Flies. Right. Uh, area that they call the glade and every night they're running through this maze trying to escape and then during the daytime they just like live on the glade i right. believe that's the way it goes that's pretty much it yeah, yeah. They're, they're trying they're trying to escape the giant maze no one has ever made it out thomas played by dylan o'brien is the guy who figures it out yes and in this movie it picks up after they have made it out of the maze after they realize oh no we're part of a bigger experiment uh-huh. because once they escape the maze in the first movie they're pretty much like oh no we're not really out of the maze. We're right. still trapped in something. And that made me mad in the first movie. Oh, and did in the, it? Yeah. Okay. And in this movie, I feel that sort of the same thing is happening. They're like, oh, no, we're trapped. Let's just keep running and yep. running and running and running. Here's a clip. Thomas, can you just calm what down talk to us? It's wicked. It's still wicked. It's always been wicked. Thomas, what did you see? So in, in this movie, they're trying to find a, uh, a rebel army uh, somewhere out there called the Right Arm. And uh, they're going to uh, try to try to very in a very Hunger Games fashion. They're going to try to find the rebellion, essentially. Right. And 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 rise up. Um, I think these movies actually um, Given how incredibly similar they are to the Hunger Games and to Divergent, uh, the tyranny and the rebellion and the special chosen ones and so on and so forth, um, given all that, I think these movies actually have managed to carve out a good little niche for themselves. Um, I like I liked the first Maze Runner. Um, I think it's got a really good cast. I like all the young guys in the in the in a, who are who played Dom, uh, Thomas's friends. Um, Thomas Brody Sangster, who's the kid oh, with the kind of... Love, kinda, actually. Yeah, he's yeah, so yeah. cute little elfin boy. Yeah, a little kind of owl, owlish face he's got, his little eyebrows. I think he's great. Um, and uh, good grown-up cast in this, I thought. Barry Pepper, Lily Taylor, uh, Giancarlo Esposito is really Patricia good in Clarkson. this. Patricia Clarkson. Yeah, Patricia Clarkson in the, in the Kate Winslet uh, <laughs> role. Um, and I, I like these movies, but I think 
My impression, Kristen, is that you don't. No, no. You might recall when we reviewed the original Maze Runner, I was so mad afterward. You were? Yeah, it was the same thing. Because we finally made it out. No, we're still inside. Yes. That is the punchline after watching two hours of people trying to escape a maze. That's the punchline of the Hunger Games, too. No, but at least things happen in the Hunger Games. There's actual story progression. There's actual breadcrumbs being left for you to give you ideas of how things work. There are none of these things in these movies. Suddenly, it's just the boom, 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 big reveal oh, in the end. Oh, you just like, like the love. You just like the lovey dove. I've always loved love. That's true, but that's not the point. These I have two movies men have... fighting over me. Oh, please stop. No, in these movies also, can we just talk about gender for a second? There's, it's, it's a boy's fantasy. There's always just one yes. girl in there that you can have a crush on. And when she's not in the scene, there's one other girl you can have a crush on. But other than that, it's just you and your bros who are shooting and fighting all the time and running around. It's a dude fantasy. I'm going to say Hunger Games is a chick fantasy, and so is Divergent. They have very mixed gender casts in both of those movies. This does not have a mixed gender cast. I disagree. I think you've got two, at least two, central figures in this film who play into the action and who play into the plot significantly. Does not pass the Bechtel test. Uh, I don't, I'm not sure about that. It doesn't. That. I'm I was not sure the Hunger Games for this passes thing. the freaking Bechtel test. Yes, it does. Yes, I'm not it sure does. Divergent does. Yes. Aside, uh, talking about, sitting around talking about something else besides men? I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> okay. Here's what I'm going to say about, about uh, Maze Runner. I would say the Maze Runner, I, I do think one thing, the Maze Runner has a, is, is largely male cast and it's got a male hero, which I think is in a funny way kind of a weak point for it because girls are a hot thing right now and girls are conquering all the genres, not just uh, the teen dystopian ones, but the comedies and action films and all these things. And so in some ways I do kind of feel like um, in a funny way, Maze Runner is in a kind of a, 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 a drawback because it's got a male hero. However, I think these movies really well acted, really well directed. Wes Ball, the director who did the first one, I think the action scenes are really plausible. They take place in a real physical world where well, what's happening is very better realistic. Better this time around. The first time around, it looked better a Better this shabby. time around. Better Bigger this time around. This time. And rougher, too. I think a little, a little more brutal, a little, a little more gory, I would say, for parents out there. Uh, Some of it's really scary in yeah. this one, actually. Those zombie things. Yeah, the zombie oh. things are great out there in the scorch, which so is the scary. desert the desert landscape they're uh, traversing. Um, I really enjoy them. I think they're well-made. Not what I would say, uh, you know, uh, what I would call emotionally impactful necessarily. Um, But I think they're well made, a lot of fun, and uh, I enjoy them. And I thought this was another perfectly good date. I thought this was just, you know, maybe even a notch better than the first. I would say it's a notch better than the first because it's not just watching the same you're in the same scene. At least you move into different parts of the scorch. Yes, you do. You know, the original one. You just like, got sick of the maze in the first one? The maze in the glade. The maze in the glade. The maze in the glade. So you were like, it was like you out in, you, you were like out in the out in the amazing maze maze, <laughs> screaming at the sky, why, God, why, get me out of this film? Why am I here? This time around, at least it's like, oh, look, here's another area that looks kind of like I walked onto the set of Xena. All right, here I am at a rave. All right, here I am. Ah, uh, like, the rave. I, yeah, yeah I, did. I, I, I was a little bummed out to you, see the rave. I know. You one. always make fun of that. I hate in the these rave. post-apocalyptic <laughs> movies, you're like, oh, I always have to do a rave. Still raving. It's after the apocalypse. We're, we're all still a raven. Yeah, I, I'm not. I'm not a big fan of that. <laughs> not a good date for me. Maze uh, runner, scorch fields. No, bad date. <laughs> oh well. Well, Kristen, let's climb the last movie. Climb it. Do you love it? 
God, I love saying crappy stuff like that. Let's climb Everest. The new film by Baltazar Komarkur, who many people probably don't know. Uh, he's the director of Contraband with Mark Wahlberg, uh, which is not much of a recommendation. But uh, here he's doing this big, serious adventure epic called Everest uh, about the 1996 uh, disaster uh, where many people died on a climb up the mountain. Um, it's the same story that John Krakauer detailed in his book, uh, Into, Into Thin, Thin Air, Air. although uh, that book is not cited as the main source uh, for this film. It's more just based on the, the events themselves. Yeah. And, and those events were being documented in a number of different ways. There were news yes. crews. It was the busiest day ever on Everest at yes. that point in 1996, 20 crews going up. And it was also documented in the highest grossing IMAX documentary of all time, also called Everest. Also called Everest. Which was being filmed while all of this stuff was going on, which is insane when you think about it. When it you certainly look, is. When you look back, back on that then. documentary, it's like, how did they make this documentary where people are dying left and right? Yeah. And they filmed it all. Yeah. Yeah. And this movie, uh, for now, is also in IMAX and IMAX only right now. It's uh, IMAX 3D. Uh, so you're going to have to pay out the nose to see Everest. Um, but uh, the basic uh, plot in this is you've got Rob Hall, played by Jason Clark. He's the leader of uh, Adventure Consultants, which was one of these super successful um, Everest climbing uh, groups. And he was so successful that it, he essentially wound up with a lot of uh, imitators and competitors, one of which is Scott Fisher, played by Jake Gyllenhaal. Uh, they're all climbing up the mountain on this crowded day, as you say. Um, I guess the main characters we see are uh, Beck Weathers, uh, a real-life character played by Josh Brolin, and um, Doug Hansen, uh, a mailman who is climbing Everest for his own reasons, played by uh, John Hawks. And then there is uh, John Krakauer himself does appear in this film mm-hmm. as a, I mean, I sh- as a character, I should say. He's in this film because he was on that trip. Um, and they climb up the mountain with, as we all know, disastrous results. Here's a clip. It hurts. It's dangerous. It destroys relationships. It's costing you all a small fortune. Are there any negative aspects? Yeah, to I got to ask the question. You know, I do. Why? Why? Because it's there. But why do they climb it? So that, so you, that <laughs> I remember when we saw this film. Um, My anger afterward. You were very displeased with these characters. Tell me why. Because they, they just incensed me. You see this level of danger that they're putting their life. They're they're putting their lives on the line here. Yes, but. They're really putting other people's lives on the line. There are lots and lots of Sherpas who are working who we barely see in the movie. We see just a little bit of them. But all these Sherpas are putting their lives on the line. All of these people are just very rich. Most of them aren't skilled enough to be climbing Everest. And the film doesn't fully show the first-person experience of how terrifying it is to climb Everest. There are a lot of big, sweeping, operatic, sort of, you know, giant, widescreen sorts of views of Everest. But... There aren't a lot of I'm about to fall into this crevasse scenes, which is really a lot of. You I don't know. know. I, I think there's. I mean, there, I, I thought the the scene with the with the uh, ladder going yeah, over back it. Weathers. I thought was pretty pretty white knuckle, and I think you you get pretty close in on um, Rob Hall when he's uh, he's trapped in a little uh, a little I don't know what to call it a little alcove a little on the almost, yeah, yeah on the mountain at one point. Um, but I, I just thought were... the actual showing of how hard it is to climb, not even during a disaster, but how hard it is to climb. Period isn't fully dramatized in this movie. Hmm. And I, I wanted some more tight shots of this is me trying to grip onto something when I have 
a giant glove on and this wall is made out of ice and it's vertical. I oh. wanted I wanted more moments like that where you're really seeing how physically arduous and difficult it is for a person. And then to think about your five Sherpas behind you holding all of your equipment doing the same thing. <laughs> I mean, it's just like they don't show how unbelievably unrealistic it is that people want to do this. And so I wanted to see more of that. And part of what made me mad also was just the egos of these climbers. Huh. That I felt that they were very egotistical. Yeah, I must do it. And I don't care if I'm putting your life in danger or mine. I, I don't know. I think, um, I, you know, despite that clip, uh, you know, where everyone says because it's there, uh, I think you do get a little bit of a sense of why people do this. And their, their motivations aren't always uh, necessarily good or, or, or noble. Um, but I think they want to do this thing that um, most human beings can't do. I think there is something impressive, you know, sh- Sherpas or no Sherpas. I think there's something pretty impressive about climbing that mountain where the oxygen level is, you know, like slightly above Mars, basically. And I, I know what you're saying about the, the wealth aspect of it, but I think that's dramatized a little bit with the, 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 the difference between Beck Weathers, who's clearly a very wealthy guy, and, um, and Doug Hansen, the mailman character. I think that's illustrated. I hated that Beck. Oh, you hated <laughs> Beck? No, I, but I think Beck's the most interesting character in the film. I think Beck is the one character who goes on a different kind of journey, not not just up the mountain, but I think also a personal journey as well. Um, and I think you get to see different sides of him in a way that you don't with the other characters. Um, he's the one character, I would say, that goes through some kind of a change mm-hmm. in a way. So in a, in a sense, he's almost the hero of the film. Not really, but in a sense. Um, I... I liked this movie. I, uh, you know, despite the whole IMAX 3D uh, aspect, I wouldn't say it, it like totally blew me away. But um, I found it like a pretty gripping experience. And I did think it had a, a certain little emotional punch that kind of stayed with me after the film. Um, and I liked it a lot. I thought Everest was a, a, a really good date. And maybe given this week, maybe kind of the best date of the bunch and the most, and the most unusual, the most different uh, movie I think you'd see this week. You? Well, you I enjoyed it too. I, so, so? I, I don't want to say this was a bad movie. I just think, for me also, I think it was living in the shadow of the documentary. Of the documentary. Which yeah. is so good and so raw and so, you know, you just cannot believe you're watching a documentary where people are dying. Yeah. And, yeah. and it's so moving that this, after seeing that, is just impossible for me to even, like... Even though this is beautifully done in lots of ways, this is a well-constructed movie in lots of ways. Uh, but yeah, but still it, second best of the still documentary. second best. And and like I said, the main feeling I felt afterward, even though I was very captivated through most of it, was just anger at these douchebags. Like I just was so mad afterward. Wow. I'm not going to say it's a bad date though. I, I think it's still a compelling date. All right. Well, stay with us because when we come back, movie therapy. I'm Rafer Guzman. And I'm Kristen Meinzer. And this is Movie Date. And Rafer. Yes. Can you just remind us about this thing called iTunes? iTunes is one of the many places you can go to subscribe to our podcast. And uh, when you do, because I know you're going to, when you do, <laughs> uh, don't forget to rate us. Because the higher you rate us, the easier it is for other people to find us. And uh, we'd like other people to find us here at Movie Date. Yes, we would love that. We would. All right. It's time for a little bit of white coat action, if you will, Rafer. 
What seems to be the trouble? Can I confess something? I'm just trying to tell you about my feelings. He's been depressed. Help! Kristen, I barely know what you mean by white oh, coat action. Oh, you know what white coat action is. It's white coat action. It's when you, our wonderful listeners, write and call in with your life issues. And Rafer and I, with absolutely zero expertise or medical training, prescribe movies for you to watch to help you through whatever ails you. Who wrote to us uh, this week, Kristen? All right. So this week, we have a letter from Betty in Hoboken. She writes, I have not been lucky in love for a while. I've had great first dates that don't go anywhere. I've started dating people and have had them stop responding to my messages. I've had people stand me up. This sucks. I am going to take a break from dating, and I want to avoid movies that feature unrealistic heterosexual relationships. Even the more cynical films have happy endings like Obvious Child and Trainwreck. What can I watch that won't have me pining for that impossible fairy tale relationship that's not an action or horror movie? That's a tough call uh, uh, for movies. Uh, movies are sort of in the fairy tale business, aren't they? Uh, oh, they yeah. You don't see a lot of uh, what I would call realistic romantic relationships in the movies, but we have come up with at least a few. Uh, and the first one we're going to recommend is Don John from just a couple years back, 2013, with Joseph Gordon-Levitt, uh, written and directed by Joseph Gordon-Levitt. He plays a guy who is a ladies' man, a real lady killer, out at the clubs every night, bringing him home, having a great time. Uh, all his friends think he's just uh, the best thing that's ever happened. Uh, he's also secretly a porn addict. He does get himself involved with a girl uh, who he thinks is kind of the girl of his dreams, but she might not be. Uh, and she's played by Scarlett Johansson. Here's a clip. All right, I had a few drinks the other night, so I may not have remembered telling you my first name, but I definitely did not tell you my last name. I'm telling you. Now, don't lie to me. Hey. Look, you don't know me, so I'm going to let you off the hook this time. But trust me, in the future, you'll be much happier if you always tell me the truth. Wait, wait, wait. I'll be happier? Well, you don't think I could make you happy if I wanted to? What I really like about this movie is that it would seem to be a romantic comedy and kind of a young, youngish, young adult romantic comedy, sexy, uh, raunchy, but it's not really. And the movie kind of goes places that you really wouldn't expect. Julianne Moore pops up about halfway through this film and becomes more and more a character that uh, kind of catches the interest of uh, Don John in a way that he can't quite figure out. And where that relationship goes, I think, is really interesting and unexpected and really kind of makes the movie. What did you think, Kristen? Yeah, I totally agree with you on this. I think it's not anything that you typically see in a movie. It's it's not that fairy tale, but it's still okay. Yes. And I think that all of the movies we're prescribing today kind of have that same message, like, it's going to be fine. Yes. It's going to be fine, and we don't need all of the romance and the rose petals on the bed and the last scene in the movie is dancing at your own wedding. No, not every <laughs> movie needs to be that way. And, and I really think Don John is a great example of how life and how love can work. Now, our second prescription from 1997 is a little something called My Best Friend's Wedding, starring Julia Robertson. Dermot Mulroney. I never pronounce his name right <laughs> to have you do it for me. Delmont Baloney. <laughs> I had to do that for Kristen. Dermot Mulroney. No, these guys are two best friends. They've been best friends for a very long time. They're in their late 20s, and they had this pact that, God forbid, if they're still single at age 28, <laughs> 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 just cracks me up, then they were going to marry each other. Well, lo and behold, 28 is here, and, you know, he, he actually is going to get married to somebody else. And Julia Roberts is a little bit forlorn about that because she thought this pact was actually going to happen. 
Here's a clip. Michael. I love you. I've loved you for nine years. I've just been too arrogant and scared to realize it. And well, now I'm just scared. So I, I, I realize this comes at a very inopportune time, but I really have this gigantic favor to ask of you. Choose me, marry me, let me make you happy. <laughs> that sounds like three fairies, doesn't it? Now, Kristen, when you first uh, brought this up as a possible prescription, um, it was hard for me to remember this film. Um, and I was very skeptical because I just remember thinking, what would a, what would a Julia Roberts romantic comedy, especially one with, uh, with, uh, with Bulwark Mahoney <laughs> as the co-star, uh, what, what could this possibly teach us about, uh, about love? But, but you say... I say that sometimes you don't get what you want, and that's a good thing. And I'm not going to give away what she does or doesn't get in the end. But she does learn a lesson about what our expectations are. And the ultimate romantic happy ending isn't always what's going to make you happiest. And I really also like this is one of the rare cases where we get to see Julia Roberts not be the sweetest person in the world. Uh-huh. And in so mm-hmm. many movies, she's playing America's sweetheart. And That's in this point. movie, we get to see her play someone much more realistic, much more nuanced, not the hooker with the heart of gold, not, the, <laughs> not that perfect gal who works with you at the pizza parlor, but she's right. actually somebody who's got a lot of, you know, internal conflicts and so on. She's much more like the rest of us than she is like that other Julia Roberts. And I, I really think that this will make you feel good. It's not a depressing movie like a lot. You know, Rafer and I talked in advance about this. We didn't want to just give you a bunch of depressing movies to watch. That's right. We want you to still enjoy these movie experiences, but not everything needs to end with you falling in love and getting married. And our third choice uh, for you is Francis Ha from 2012 with uh, Greta Gerwig, uh, written and directed by Noah Baumbach. And uh, this is... One of those twenty-something movies about the aimless twenty-something who's a little bit too old for uh, this uh, adolescent lifestyle she's leading. She's in glamorous New York. Uh, she thinks she's living the bohemian hipster lifestyle, uh, but it soon becomes clear that that lifestyle is not really going to sustain her uh, in terms of a career, in terms of uh, em- emotionally, romantically, in terms of almost anything you can think of. Here's a clip. I want this one moment. It's, it's what I want in a relationship, which might explain why I'm single now. Ha ha. <laughs> it's, um, it's kind of hard to... It's that thing when you're with someone and you love them and they know it and they love you and you know it. But it's a party. And you're both talking to other people and you're laughing and shining and you look across the room and catch each other's eyes, but, but not because you're possessive or it's precisely sexual, but because that is your person in this life. And it's funny and sad, but only because this life will end and it's the secret world that exists right there in public, unnoticed, that no one else knows about. Uh, Greta Gerwig had starred not not too long before this movie came out in a somewhat similar movie called Lola Versus mm-hmm. that I uh, loathed. I hated that movie, everything about it. And when I went in to see Francis Ha, I just thought, oh, my God, here we go again. 
and I sat down, and the movie started, and I just fell in love with it. I thought this was such a great movie. Uh, Greta Gerwig is so fun. The writing is so great. And I think what's great about this film is she really has to figure out how to be a person. She really does, corny as it sounds, have to grow up. Uh, and uh, I think I think the movie does a really great job of showing not not necessarily how you do that, but why, why you have to do that. Kristen? Yeah, and I also think that one of the other things that's important about this movie is the central relationship she initially builds her life around is her roommate slash best friend. Yes. And what is it like when that's the great love of your life and that seems to go away? Right. And how do you build your life separately without that or with that? And I think that sometimes we underestimate how important those really good girlfriends are, those really good friends we have are, and how those kinds of relationships are just as important as romantic relationships in shaping who we are as fully formed humans. Yes, and that girlfriend has a romantic relationship of her own, uh, which is part of the problem that you're talking about, that Frances Ha gets a little jealous, and that relationship, uh, how that relationship is first presented to us and where it goes from there, no spoilers, I also found really interesting. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Yeah, yeah I, and I liked that quite a bit. So uh, Francis Ha, again, one of my favorite films from the last few years. Um, I love that movie. I think it's a, a, a great prescription. Now that, we, now that we've got our stethoscope action going. <laughs> stethoscope action. White coat action. Mirrored headband action. we got all the action going on I'm here. never going to forget white coat action. <laughs> Kristen, I'm never going to forget that. <laughs> well, Betty, thank you so much for writing into us with your movie therapy question. And the rest of you folks out there, if you need some movie therapy, write us at facebook.com slash podcast or call us at 5717movies. You can also use that number with just general listener mail like this one. Hey, Rafer and Kristen. This is Jeff Gingras calling from New Jersey. I love the reviews this week. And I am going to put the kibosh on anyone in my family seeing Grandma or The Visit so we can all watch those movies together at Thanksgiving. I think my parents will really appreciate the, the bonding experience of it all. So, anyways, you guys have a great week, and I will listen to you next week. We just want to say we appreciate that you enjoyed our reviews of Grandma yes. and The Visit. But please do not watch The Visit with your family this Thanksgiving. Yeah, I don't know about that I, one. I just, I don't think anyone's going to sleep well at Thanksgiving after that. Or at least do it before dinner. No, no, at don't. Least, at least don't do it. Don't do it after you've eaten, man. <laughs> I'm just telling you. Why? There's, don't, you remember the, don't you remember the one of the final scenes with the little kid and the grandpa? No, no. Whew. If you do that before you eat, then no one's going to eat at all. Yep. Yeah, oh, you, oh, I see what you're saying. Oh, I don't know. I don't yeah. know, Kristen. I no one's going to want to get near the kitchen and help out. <laughs> That's right. It's just all bad. No. <laughs> or, no. The, or the oven. Yeah. Anyway. No. Anyway. Anywho. Look, it's your holiday, man. It's your holiday. <laughs> Anywho, thank you so much for calling. We really appreciate the call. And now it's time for some trivia. Rafer, what did we ask last week? Well, last week we were talking about Grandma with Lily Tomlin. And um, Lily Tomlin's had a long and very successful uh, film career. Not entirely successful, though. <laughs> so, of course, Kristen and I, being the nasty-minded people that we are, we found one of her worst films. We asked you to name it. We played you this clip. I have something I want to tell you. It's Trish. Trish, I want to tell you something. Let's smoke some pot. No. I don't want you doing drugs. You hear? Why not? This scene is nowhere. I don't want you doing that. Not even sound next. Okay. 
All right, I won't. It's astonishing that <laughs> that she was even in this film. We got a, we got a lot of wrong answers. We got a few right answers. We picked one. Here it is. Hey, Rafer and Kristen. I was out walking and I heard your podcast, and I wanted to respond to the trivia question. The answer is Moment by Moment, the 1978 romantic drama film, which stars Lily Tomlin and John Travolta, and it's also known as one of John Travolta's first big flops after the juggernaut of Saturday Night Fever and Grease. So I really enjoy your program, and I'll keep listening. Thanks. Yes, indeed. Moment by moment from 1978. That is John Travolta in the hot tub. Oh, my gosh. Last week when we were watching that, Rafer, I was... <laughs> it's, it's... <laughs> I could not stop laughing. It's so great. The camera just zooms in and then it stops at, <laughs> at his chest and, and, and groin region while he's in his Speedo. And then, and then the camera moves over to Lily Tomlin's face going, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Lily Tomlin, best actress in the world. Uh... <laughs> Right, <laughs> right. Oh, uh, put it, putting up, putting on her sexy face for oh, John Travolta. Yes. She would later marry the director of that film, Jane Wagner. Um, so that must have been an interesting shoot going on there. Um, yeah. So now nah, we we didn't choose that film to make fun of Billy Tomlin. We all love Billy we Tomlin, all love her, of but... course. But uh, but and Universal has tried to bury that one. You can't. You can't. I don't think they. I don't think you can get it on home video. And you would. And you definitely will not see it at a repertory screening almost anywhere ever. One thing I need to point out. Our wonderful listener didn't give us his name. Yeah, that's right. You didn't you didn't identify yourself. Now we can't give you proper credit. But oh. thanks for calling in. Oh, was that John Travolta who called us? John Travolta. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Kristen, what is this week's trivia? All right. Well, this week in honor of Everest and mountain movies, we're going to play a clip of another mountain movie. Here it is. When you are climbing, your your mind is clear. Freed of all confusions, you, you have focus. And suddenly the light becomes sharper, sounds are richer, and you are filled with the deep, powerful presence of life. He was a legendary explorer who set out on an expedition to the Himalayas. Weather's getting bad, we should rope up. And disappeared. Mm. Mm. Who is that, Kristen? That is not Grizzly Adams. Is I just that, want to say right now. Is it Werner Herzog? It's not Werner Herzog. Is that Christoph Waltz? <laughs> no. <laughs> Nein, it is not. <laughs> if you know the name of that movie, give us a call, 5717movies. Or message us at facebook.com slash moviedatepodcast. <laughs> 